Take your Bibles, join me in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to finish this chapter today as we continue making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. We are now in the post-flood world, and as we saw last week, while the earth has been cleansed, it did nothing to cleanse man's heart. The heart of man remains the same. Remember, before the flood, God looked at humanity and He said the imagination of the thoughts of His heart was only evil continually. And then after the flood, God still says the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And we see the evidence of that here in a post-flood world at the end of chapter 9. Everything's been cleansed, but we already introduced this a little bit last week. What, what are we seeing take place? Sin has already rearing its head. Look with me here in chapter 9. Let's read verses 18 through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant, and God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. I mentioned last week how this is one of the most difficult passages, for me anyway, and I would think most of us, to rightly divide when we come to this. I I tried my best to present to you verses 18 through 24 and give you my opinion of, of what I believe is taking place here. But ultimately, we have to understand if it's not clearly stated, it's just our opinion. And so I gave you my opinion. We, we know for sure Noah got drunk. That was sinful. Amen. And as we discussed last week, drunkenness opens the door for even more sin to take place. People get taken advantage of, people act a fool, all these things take place. And so it opens the door for more to happen, and that's what's happened in Noah's life. We can say dogmatically that Ham saw his father's nakedness, but really it's the phrase at the end of verse 21 that makes the Bible student pause and give it some more thought to see what actually is going on here, because it says, and he was uncovered in his tent. That could mean there's a lot more here than meets the eye. Was Noah simply laying uncovered or did someone, it would have to be either Ham or Canaan, enter into his tent and uncover him? Because if someone uncovered his nakedness, according to Leviticus chapter 18 and 20, this becomes very significant because to uncover someone's nakedness in the Bible is an idiom for physical relationships to have taken place. And if that's the meaning here, then something very wrong has taken place. 
And the language in verse 24 suggests that something happened because when Noah sobers up, he says he knew what his younger son had done unto him. It, It seems like something was done to him. What was it? I don't think we can be dogmatic about what actually happened, but it must have been exceedingly sinful in order for Canaan to receive such a curse. For what it's worth, I'm of the opinion something incestuous took place, either against Noah or Noah's wife, because to uncover your father's nakedness in Leviticus means to be with his wife. You can find that in Leviticus 18.8 and chapter 20 and verse 11. Whatever took place in verse 23, Shem and Japheth took a garment, kept their faces backwards. They, they go in, they cover their father's nakedness. And we saw Shem and Japheth were honoring their father while Ham was dishonoring his father. And so the emphasis at the close of last week, we tried to put some of that behind us and actually get to a point. And so the emphasis primarily was, are you a tailbearer or a coverer? Ham saw the nakedness and he went out and told his brothers. His brothers covered it. And so where do you fall in that spectrum? Proverbs 11.13 says, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Listen, don't be guilty of being a gossip, but determined to be a help to people instead. Amen. I'm not saying sit on information that needs to be known. Right? If somebody's being abused, I want to know. We're going to deal with it. If somebody's thinking about committing suicide, we need to know. We, we want to deal with it. But I'm talking about this petty nonsense, right? right? And, and you just have to go run your mouth. So don't be a gossiper. Be a coverer. You, you don't have to, to broadcast everything that comes into your ears. Uh, what does the Bible say? You, you need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. All right. Well, you really need to go back and listen to last week. I covered a lot that I don't have time to recap. And so let's pick up where we left off last time in verse 24. And, and notice what it says here. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Now, I'm going to warn you that today is going to be more teaching than preaching. So you are authorized to fall asleep today. Amen. However, if you fall asleep, it's going to be an indication that you're not interested in studying the Bible. So that's your choice. Amen. You can do what you want to do. I covered this verse last time to, a, to an extent. I think it's important that we re-examine some of the things here as we begin to move forward. When Noah sobered up and he knew what his younger son had done unto him, we have to ask ourselves, who is the younger son? You say, well, it should be pretty obvious here. No, there, he's got three sons, right? One, only one of them can be an elder. So he's got two younger sons himself. But remember in the Bible that it's not uncommon for somebody's grandchildren to be called their son or daughter. And so it could very well be here that Noah is referring to his grandson, Canaan, who is named, and because that's their only two choices. Ham or Canaan is the one at fault here. And, and they both had sin, but one had, had, had gross sin. You say, well, there's no scale of sin. Oh, yes, there is. Yeah, let me just go ahead and bust that theological bubble while I'm right here. Jesus said that the, you know, my people are the one that delivered me to, to you, Pilate. They have the greater sin. If Jesus said there's greater sin, there's greater sin. And so, anyway, it's either Ham or Canaan, and it could be that Noah's referring to his grandson. I believe he's referring to Canaan. I believe Canaan is the one who committed an incestuous act in this account. Now, to further my opinion, we, we see in verse 25 that Noah immediately curses Canaan and not Ham. 
He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, there's some who believe that Canaan was a result of a relationship that took place between Ham and his mother, that, that Canaan would have been conceived through that, and that's why Canaan is cursed. I mentioned last week, the problem I have with that is it opens the door to say, if somebody is a victim of rape, let's just go ahead and abort that child. Because that's essentially what we're saying. And, and I don't think that's God's heart, and I don't think it would ever be the right action. And so for me personally, I don't think the language here will support that Canaan was conceived in this account. For starters, let's think about this. The curse takes place when Noah awakes from his wine. Now, I've never been drunk, so I went to Dr. Google. And I said, how long does it take to sober up? And I found out all kinds of stuff. It depends on your body weight, your blood alcohol content, all these things that, you know, whatever. On average, it would appear, let's just say, 12 hours. And that's a pretty long time with a high, pretty high count. So let's just say it took him 12 hours to, to sober up. Um, to my knowledge, I'm not a woman. All right, I don't play in a transition. I, but to my knowledge, a woman doesn't know she's pregnant within 12 hours. Women, if you could shake your head if that's true, that'd be great because I don't know. Uh, she's saying no, one saying yes. I don't know what's going on. Um, women don't even know their own bodies, amen. I, um, I don't know how long it took us over, but let's say 12 hours. She wouldn't have known that quick if she was pregnant. And yet, what does Noah do? He curses this one that was supposedly conceived. To me, that's a problem, if, if that's our opinion. Um, <clears throat> In addition, by Noah directly cursing Canaan, it seems clear to me that Canaan was already born. Or else Noah already knew the name of a son that his wife didn't even know she was pregnant with. Okay. Uh, now, there's no indication from the text that this is what's, what's happening. Uh, not to mention, according to Genesis 10.6, if you wanted to look over there, you could, but uh, according to Genesis 10.6, it makes sense that Canaan would have been Ham's fourth son. They're not always in order, but a lot of times they are, and he's listed last, and, and it makes sense that he would be the fourth son. Why only curse Canaan when Noah had three other sons of Ham to choose from? And, and one of the clinchers for me is Deuteronomy 27.20, which says, Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now the Bible says that the one who does this is the one who gets cursed. And that's what happens here. This is why I think Canaan is the one who did something. He receives the curse. So biblically, according to Deuteronomy 27.20, this makes sense. That he would have been one who would have uncovered his, his father's or Noah's nakedness, not Ham. But I must emphasize again, this is just my opinion. Right? And you can do with it as you see fit. And you're entitled to your opinion. And you can give that when you're up here. But that's my opinion. What we know for sure, Canaan is cursed. He's cursed to be a servant of servants. Verse 26, he would be a servant of Shem. In verse 27, he would also be a servant of Japheth. Now, the only time that Noah speaks in the Bible is right here. Isn't that amazing? He's got such a stellar resume and a great life, and this is the only time we actually hear him speak. We know he was a preacher of righteousness, so he spoke. But this is the only time that it's recorded. And this is an amazing prophecy here of what is to come. This is why I had to break last week up into two sermons, and I probably should have done another, but I'm going to try to get everything in here. First, we see in verse 25, 
Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, this starts to get very intriguing as we consider Canaan's future. Look over at Genesis 10 for just a moment, and let's notice the genealogy here of Canaan. Genesis 10 in verse 15 it says, And Canaan begat Sidon his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, and the uh, Zemorite, and the Hamathite, and the Mosquito Bites, and oh, sorry, that was my version. And afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad, and the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, and even unto Lacia. These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. If there's any truth to Canaan committing a deviant act against his father or mother, which is my opinion, because he's the one that's cursed, then isn't it interesting that it's the Canaanites who are the ones who inhabit Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, we know what Sodom and Gomorrah is unfortunately famous for. The Sodomites. They were sexual perverts of the worst kind. Lot couldn't even have two angels come to his house without people, the Bible says, from every quarter, young and old, beating upon his door to have the two angels come out so that they could know them. And even after the angels struck him with blindness, they're still feeling for the door, trying to have their way with these two. You think it's bad now. It's been way worse. And, and did you notice how Canaan's genealogy, it stops listing people, and it just starts listing people groups. It mentions all those ites. Did you recall how those ites, which descended from Canaan, show back up when Israel finally enters the land? Remember that God wanted the children of Israel to drive out the Canaanites, utterly overthrow them because their iniquity was full. Well, it's interesting, really it's very remarkable that one of the major areas of their wickedness that God levies against the people that were in the land was their sexual immorality. Listen to what God said to Israel through Moses in Leviticus 18, verses 3 through 6, and this is about the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall not do. God brought them out, don't do like Egypt. And then he says, after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, ye shall not do. Where you came out of, don't do what they do. And where you're going into, don't do what they do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments, mine ordinances, to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Listen to what he says next. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. He says you're going into a land where this is the practice. And this is what they do. And throughout the rest of Leviticus 18, God mentions all these relationships that man shouldn't have. These near of kin. He says don't do that. And, and he gives a list of sexual sins that are just gross. 
not just incest, but it goes on to list homosexuality and bestiality. This is what the land that they were going into was guilty of. Who were they? The descendants of Canaan. Something, I think, took place here in Genesis 9. Throughout the rest of Leviticus 18, God does this at the very end. Listen to what it says, or right towards the end. Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 27. Defile not yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. The land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. To me, it just further builds the conclusion that Canaan's at fault here, in my opinion. The descendants of Canaan were guilty of something sexually impure that I believe Canaan was also guilty of, some sort of incestuous relationship. Now, back to this curse in Genesis 9 and how Canaan would be a servant of servants, that he would be a servant, listen to what it says, unto his brethren. So Shem and Japheth, right? In verse 26, uh, we, we read, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, Canaan shall be his servant. It's important that we take notice of this wording carefully. It wasn't just that Shem was being blessed, but it is that Noah's blessing the Lord God of Shem. You see that? In other words, Shem was a godly man. Shem was godly and right with God. Shem, he becomes the father of all the Semitic people of the Middle East. But more specifically, Shem becomes the father of the children of Israel down the line. That's where they descended from. We learned that from those boring genealogies none of us want to read. But you can figure this out by the genealogy of Genesis 10, 1 Chronicles 1, and Luke chapter 3. And in fact, at the end of Luke chapter 3, what you'll find is that Shem is in the line of Christ. And, and so, really, this prophecy is narrowing down who the promised seed is going to come from. It's, where is the Messiah going to arrive from? And listen, when you go to the Scriptures, Christ should be your primary focus anyway. Not who committed what here, but where is Christ in all of this? And so we look for Christ, and you ought to do that as you go through the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, it's a revelation of Christ. And you need to keep an eye on that as you progress, because the Bible is building up to Christ. And that's what we're seeing here. You see, we saw it in Genesis 3.15. There's one coming. He's a promised seed. He's going he's to bruise the head of Satan. And then we saw a little bit later that it would be narrowed down from, from just a generic seed of the woman, and, and it would be narrowed down to Seth. Remember that? And then from Seth, it would be narrowed down to Noah. From Noah, it would be narrowed down to Shem, as we're seeing here. After Shem, it would be narrowed down to Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and then Judah, and then ultimately through David, and there's a lot in there. But what, what, is, what are we reading here in the Old Testament? It's building up to Christ. The Messiah is on the way. He's coming. And now we see it's going to be narrowed down through Shem. And, and as we, we, we get to this part about Canaan being a servant, when Israel entered the land, do you remember what they were guilty of? They did not drive out all the inhabitants, did they? 
God said you need to do that. I'll drive them out for you. You just got to obey. They wouldn't even get that right. And so they didn't drive them all out. And then as a result of that, Canaan became servant to the children of Israel or servants to Shem. Long story short, the Hivites tricked Israel and Joshua in, uh, in Joshua 9.23. Joshua says to them, now therefore, now the Hivites are one of those listed. They're the descendants of, of Canaan. Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen. You're going to hew wood, draw water for the house of my God. Read Judges chapter 1 sometime, and what do you'll find? That they did not drive everybody like they should have. They compromised. And just one verse from that, you can read it all, but one verse, Judges 1.28. And it came to pass, when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, which means they were put into servitude, and did not utterly drive them out. By the time we get to Solomon's day, he's, this is the, the height of the empire. And, and after that, it's going to go downhill. So right here at the height, listen to what it says. 1 Kings 9, verses 20 through 21. And all the people that were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able to utterly destroy, upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service unto this day. All of this servitude, isn't it amazing? Goes all the way back here to Genesis chapter 9. And, and admittedly, I don't know how hard to push something like this. Sometimes I think pastors get up and they say some ridiculous things that they can't back up. For example, you better pay your tithe or God's going to take it out of you. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe He will, maybe He won't. And I don't know how hard to push this, but I'll tell you this this morning, you better be careful how you live. Because you might just be impacting future generations. Isn't that what we see here? All the way back here with Canaan. All the way through the life of Solomon. Servitude. Sinfulness. Wickedness. How are you living your life today? How are you impacting the next generation to come? Because you are to some degree. Like I said, I don't know how hard to push that thought. But you are to some degree. And listen, this isn't to say there isn't a way of escape. Amen? There's victory through Christ. Whoop. Thankfully, anyone can turn to Christ for deliverance at any time if they'll humble themselves and do so. But let's face it, we see this principle of generational impact throughout the Bible. David had an affair with Bathsheba. What did Nathan the prophet say after that? The sword's not going to depart from your house. There was a penalty. There was a generational impact. So be careful how you're living. Now, this prophecy is amazing, and I, and I, I want to start getting through this here. I'm sorry. This is deep, though. Uh, as we move to verse 27, look at what it says. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan shall be his servant. Now, this becomes incredible. It's at this point, I could take us on a deep dive. We could get so far into the weeds that we may not find our way back out, and I don't want to do that. I'm resisting that temptation. But I hope what follows here and what I give you will whet your appetite a little bit to study God's Word. Maybe you'll dig a little bit deeper yourself. We've already considered how God chose Shem's line to bring in the Messiah. But we see here that Japheth, who is outside of the seed line of Shem, he's going to find his dwelling in Shem, right? In the tents of Shem, Japheth will find his dwelling. This reveals to us that others would be blessed through the seed line of Shem. 
And listen to this about the descendants of Japheth. You can look over there at Genesis 10, verse 5. Look at what it says. By these were the isles of the Gentiles. This is talking about Japheth. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, and their nations. This is the first time the Hebrew word shows up for Gentiles. First time the English word shows up for Gentiles in the Bible. And the connection here is that the Gentiles would find their dwelling in the tents of Shem. Now remember what God said to Abraham later on. He said, you will become a father of many nations, plural. You know that word nations in the Hebrew is the exact same for Gentile. It's goyim. And so he said, you're going to become the father of many Gentiles, many nations. What, what is that picturing? It's the enlargement of Japheth here in verse 27. This enlargement will be pictured later on in the life of Joseph. He's going to be sown down in Egypt. Remember that? And when he's in Egypt, what happens to Joseph? He picks up a Gentile bride. He has two children there, Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim means double fruit, the son of a Gentile bride. It's another picture. The tents of Japheth are going to be enlarged. Now consider how the tribes of Israel were encamped around the tabernacle. Remember, there were three to the north, south, east, and west. There were a principal tribe on each side. To the east, the principal tribe was Judah. And then you go over to the west. Guess who the principal tribe was? This is amazing. That it was Ephraim. Ephraim, the son of Joseph's Gentile bride, was to the west. And, and so you have double fruit to the west. Now keep in mind Jacob's prophetic words to Judah and Joseph in Genesis 49. And I know this is one of those things you're going to have to go back and listen to because I'm throwing a lot out there. Genesis 49.10, the scepter, this is talking about the kingly line, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. David will come from Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Who's Judah? He's a descendant of Shem. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Who's Shiloh? It's the Messiah. Now listen to what it says. Unto him, the Messiah, shall the gathering of the people be. Where are they gathering? Into the tents of Shem. Verse 27. Genesis 49.22, Jacob says to Joseph, while technically he was a descendant of Shem, his offspring were Gentile. And it says of Joseph, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. In other words, this is going to spread. Joseph is. Now, I want you to picture how the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth spread out throughout the world after the flood. Obviously, there was some bleed over earlier on and, and probably throughout a little bit of bleed over, but they did begin to spread out. Shem's descendants settled primarily in what we call the Middle East today. Ham's descendants would settle primarily in the western, far western Middle East into North Africa. Japheth would end up going uh, north into what is modern-day Turkey and spread throughout Europe to the west. And notice that God does not promise enlargement to, she, uh, to Shem. He only em, uh, promises enlargement to Japheth. The children of Israel have not overspread the world like the Gentiles have. Yeah, you can find children of Israel everywhere, but they haven't overspread everywhere like the Gentiles have. God not only enlarged Japheth geographically, He did so numerically. It's plain to see how the Gentiles have been enlarged more than Shem or Han on this earth. 
Now, how would this multitude of nations be brought into the tents of Shem? Well, remember from Shem's Judah, and more importantly, Shem's God, who Noah blesses, the Messiah would arrive. After Christ's ascension, this is so good, after Christ's ascension, and and really I should say, after persecution finally arrived to the early church in Jerusalem, which direction did the gospel begin to go? Into modern-day Turkey and westward. Isn't this amazing? And it went westward towards Japheth's descendants. In fact, you may recall Paul was in Mysia. He wanted to go back east and northward into Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going there. And then that, that next day or that night, he gets the Macedonian call to go where? Westward. God said, no, I want you to keep going westward. I want you to keep going towards Japheth. So how would enlarged Japheth enter into the tents of Shem? It's through Christ, right? The God of Shem. The Gentiles, the children of Japheth, would receive the gospel as it progressed westward. The gospel came forth from the tents of Shem. That's who the Messiah came from. Isaiah 11.10 And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who's that? Jesus Christ. There shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and His rest shall be glorious. Now what's great about this word enlarge, there's so much here. What's great about this word enlarge in verse 27 is that it has the idea of being enticed or persuaded. In fact, it's translated into English as such many times. And so while God is going to enlarge the Gentiles, He's not going to force them into the tents of Shem. They'll find a dwelling there, but He's not going to force them. Everybody with me? And so He's enlarging them. He's not forcing them into the tent of Shem. But, But what does this word enlarge really mean? It means God is going to draw them in. Now, how about this? Jesus said in John 12, 32 and 33, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw, I'll draw all men unto me. This he said signifying what his death would be. And so what what is it? How is Japheth entering into Shem? By the cross. Amen. Christ's sacrificial death. And through his death, Christ would draw men into the tents of Shem. So what has drawn Japheth in? It's the love of God in that He gave His only begotten Son to die for unworthy sinners. And through His death, we have become persuaded of God's love, of His mercy, of His redeeming grace. We've been allured to God by His great love. And if we had time, we'd go over to Hosea 2 and we'd have a shout and fit. And Well, I would. And Christ is the one who's going to reach people, what does Revelation say? From every Nation, tongue, tribe, people. What's that doing? It's fulfilling the prophecy that Abraham would become a father of many nations and it's fulfilling the prophecy of Noah to Shem that Japheth would find their dwelling in Shem. Now you may be thinking, what about the Canaanites? Poor guys, they're servants of servants. Do they have any hope? Oh yeah. God through Noah prophesied a curse on evildoers. And we see in our text that there would not only be salvation for sinners, but there would also be punishment for evildoers. We know from the Bible that some of Ham's descendants would find salvation in spite of this curse. 
We also know that some of Japheth and Shem's descendants would not find salvation in spite of no curse. Why? Listen to me now. If I missed you and everything, it's because you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make about Christ. Do you accept Him or do you reject Him? I want to remind you this morning, we're all born with a curse. Cursed be Canaan. We're all cursed. We've been born with a sin nature. And there's only one way to deal with that sin nature, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a decision to make. Accept the one who became a curse for us on the cross. You know what the Bible says? Or say, no thank you, I can make it on my own. Accept Him or reject Him. Whether you're from Shem, Ham, or Japheth, you have a decision. The question today is, have you entered into the tents of Shem through Christ? Or are you still on the outside looking in? Whose tent are you dwelling in? The tents of wickedness or the tents of righteousness? You see, Christ's free gift of salvation is available to whosoever will call upon Him. What is your decision going to be? God has done everything for you to be saved. And now it's up to you to decide. Let's pray.